Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto, it's June 2nd and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Parliament's major parties are both leaning heavily towards the political centre in order to attract the coveted middle New Zealand vote. But in doing so, they're leaving opportunity for the minor parties to pick up voters on the fringes. The thing is that as society becomes more polarised, those fringes are becoming larger and larger. This leaves some uncomfortable choices for both National and Labour as they head into the next election. So how do you appeal to the middle while not alienating the party faithful? And who has the most to lose in getting this balance wrong? Today, on the front page, NZ Herald's senior writer Simon Wilson explains why we should be paying close attention to both the major and minor parties. Simon, you recently attended a lunchtime meeting hosted by Christopher Luxon at the Birkenhead Bowling Club. Can you give us a sense of what happened there? So this was the first meeting of Chris Luxon's nationwide tour called Back on Track, which is his attempt to kind of dry run, if you like, some ideas and themes and slogans for the election campaign and connect to some core voters. Now, it's a public meeting, Mm -hmm. but overwhelmingly the people there was the Birkenhead Bowling Club, and overwhelmingly they were, I would say, National Party stalwarts. I've been to a lot of these meetings. I recognise quite a few of them. They were comfortable with each other and comfortable with him in a way that suggested party membership. That wasn't true for the whole meeting, Mm -hmm. uh, but it certainly was true for most of them. Being a lunchtime meeting, they were tended to be retired people, though not entirely. There were clearly some business owners there, uh, business people, small business, and uh, overwhelmingly Pākehā. And from the tenor of their questions, they were concerned... I would say that um, Luxon was drifting too far in the wrong direction for them, in other words, too far to the middle. You mentioned there was a racial element to the questions some of the audience were asking. Can you elaborate on that? Several of the questions were along the lines of Māori are getting too much and when are you going to put a stop to this? Couched in various ways. And those questions were applauded. They set the tone of the meeting. Luxon himself spoke for half an hour, but he took an hour of questions. And those questions really did drive the way the whole uh, event unfolded. And as I say, they were applauded. And it was a surprise to me because I have talked to him about this before and there was a racist tone to um, some of those questions. And although he didn't agree with them always, he didn't really kind of fight back against it either. Historically, we have seen politicians like Justin Trudeau and John McCain hit back at racially charged questions. I can't trust Obama, and he's not, he's not, he's a, he's an Arab. No, ma'am, no, ma'am. He's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. What do you make of Luxon's response? Um, I think he's 
trying to talk to two audiences at the same time. And I think this is really interesting uh, in New Zealand politics leading into this election. On the kind of harder right end of our political spectrum, race has become a defining issue and it popped up obviously in Three Waters. Uh, It pops up in co-governance issues, treaty issues, people upset about there being a quota for Māori and Pacifica medical students, a whole lot of ways in which people think Māori are getting an unfair advantage that they don't deserve. And in my view, that is racism, to analyse things in that way, and it has become a kind of predominant theme. It's a theme that gets a bit of traction, and it's egged on by people like Don Brash and Hobson's Pledge and, and, and so on. It's also egged on by the ACT Party and New Zealand First, and so there are a number of those people who might have voted national and are now either have uh, indicated they are going to vote ACT or New Zealand First or are drifting that way. So national has a real problem on its hands and are trying not to let those people go. But at the same time, in middle New Zealand, in middle New Zealand, you remember, is where we're, we're always told the elections are won and lost. Middle New Zealand loves Ruby Tui. Middle New Zealand knows how to sing Tu Te Ramai and sang it along with her at Eden Park in the Rugby World Cup final. Middle New Zealand has kids who go to school and come home and sing Waiata and watch the news and enjoy that Tereo is sprinkled through our language. Middle New Zealand likes that we are evolving a New Zealand language based on English, which has a whole lot of Tereo in it. And we're comfortable with that. We enjoy it. And Luxon, I imagine, understands that very well and is also, I think personally, I think he's also comfortable with it. So he's got to talk to those people as well as those other people on the uh, further out to the right. And there is no meeting in the middle. Each one of them horrifies the other. Yeah, so this is a real existential threat now to the right wing of our politics. I understand that Luxon's office wasn't entirely happy with what you wrote. Why did they take exception to it? They felt that I'd overstated the influence of those questions about race in my report of the meeting, in my analysis of the meeting, and they thought that they would played a, a lesser role in, the, in the, the whole thing. My view was that there were a lot of those questions. They did get applauded and they did set the tone. Where does this leave Luxon, though? Do you think that he is going to be ultimately vulnerable to losing more and more votes to ACT and NZ First if he doesn't lean into that racism? Um, it's very hard to know how this plays out, but you can, if you look at the ACT Party, David Seymour is an extremely successful politician. In my view, I think you'd have to say he's been the most successful political leader on the right. He has run a disciplined caucus. Now, they have some clear um, policies uh, that they want to implement. And if they are successful in getting their vote up, say, somewhere close to, you know, if there was a centre-right government, which was 30% national, 20% ACT, people on the centre-right might think, great, we're going to have a centre-right government. But actually, that places ACT in the driving seat. Now, that means they're the ones with all the impetus, they're the ones with lots of the ideas. They will be formidably powerful in that government and well-placed to even go further in the next election or the one after that. So there's a real threat to national. How do they define themselves as a party people should vote for when they've got this hard right threat on their flank? You've noted some international trends of rapid growth among right-leaning parties. So how big could a party like ACT become if the same trends take hold here? There are different ways in which it plays out around the world, but in many European countries, the traditional centre-right 
Party has been swamped by a much harder right party, countries like Sweden, Finland, and also in Italy, where absolutely, you know, um, Berlusconi wasn't right-wing enough for them. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's a threat in France as well. In America, it's happened very differently. The Republican Party has simply been taken over by the hard right. So it's not that a new party has swept the Republicans aside. They've been eaten out from within. And that's a really serious threat to democracy around the world. We hope you're finding this episode of The Front Page insightful. Follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more premium coverage from our top writers, head to nzherald.co.nz slash premium to subscribe. So there also seems to be some disagreement within the National Party. What do you make of National MP Simeon Brown digging his heels in when it comes to the issue of road signs transitioning from being purely in English to being bilingual? You know, the vast majority of New Zealanders speak English, and it's really important that those signs are quickly understandable. So that was the point I was making. So, do you, do you get confused being the MP for Pakaranga? I'm very proud to be the MP for Pakaranga. Yeah, Tama, can we just get... Yeah, you've heard all this. What do you make of this argument? Well, I'm pretty relaxed about things. Is there some level of inconsistency here between the leadership and the people working for Luxon? Oh, I think there is. I mean, you've, the first question you have to ask is, why on earth are road signs a, an issue? Anyone who's travelled overseas knows that bilingual road signs are common. They don't cause problems. There is evidence, I was reading yesterday in a piece from the conversation, that there's evidence that bilingual road signs are more helpful than unhelpful. There's no real reason for them to be an issue, but complaining about them panders to that harder right element of of voters. Simeon Brown has done that, but he's been shot down by people like Tama Potaka and other Māori MPs in his caucus, and I think probably you've got to imagine by some of the more sensible or liberal uh, members, uh, Pākehā members of the caucus as well. So they've kind of backtracked on that, I think, and revealed that there's a scattergun approach. I mean, this is something opposition uh, parties will do routinely anyway. You fire shots, you see which ones hit their target, and you keep going with them. That one missed its target, I think, and so they're changing. National certainly has its problems, but isn't Labour also a little vulnerable at the moment? Given that it's leaning so hard to the centre, doesn't that also mean that the party could lose more votes to the Greens in the coming election? It does. I don't know that there's much evidence that Labour's very worried about that. I imagine that Labour would welcome there being a reasonably strong Green component in a, in a new coalition government that they form. And I think the Greens are different from ACT in that regard. David Seymour and and ACT clearly want to become a major party. And good on them, why wouldn't they? But that is clearly their strategy. Standing in Tamaki, standing Brooke Van Velden in Tamaki, is a part of that strategy. They are going to be a party that wins seats. Over the past few years, I've had a number of people in the Tamaki electorate, especially women, saying they do not feel represented by the local MP because of his anti-abortion views. The Greens are doing the same. The Greens are, have won a seat and are going to try very hard to win Wellington Central for Tamitha Paul as well and have a good chance to do that. I think there's no other candidate that is as passionate about Wellington who has the same mandate as Wellington that really wants to represent and take it to the next level. But it's hard to say that the Greens are trying to supplant Labour. Mm. You, know, you know, that might be a fantasy some of them have, but uh, I don't know that there's much evidence that that's really what they're trying to do. Whereas ACT clearly 
do seem to believe that National's time is up and they want the job. So I think there's a difference there. Act see themselves as something more. So the, the relationships with current major parties are, are different. Both Labour and National have so far veered away from launching too many big or bold policy ideas. So do you think the real policy thinking might come from the minor parties this year? I think that's always been true. The disappointing thing about uh, major parties fighting it out for the middle is that they become very similar and they don't release a lot of policy and they don't lead with firm, clear policy that will make a difference. They're looking to provide the moderate version of it always. So on the one side, the Greens, and on the other side, Act, you get much clearer policy differentiation. The Greens clearly want much more effective action on climate change and on poverty than Labour's been prepared to countenance. Act wants a much smaller role for government, many fewer regulations, a much more laissez-faire, neoliberal approach to the way in which the country is run than national, which is, for all that it might talk some of that talk, has a very similar mixed interventionist approach to economic issues to Labour's. Some are predicting that this could be our first true MMP election with the minor parties growing in strength. Should voters be looking at the likes of Act and Greens when making their decisions based on the fact that the real thinking is going to come from those parties? Voters should look at all the parties. You vote for what you want and you also vote against what you don't want, you know, and, and, and that's just how it works. It isn't ever true that the minor party is the tail that wags the dog. The the dog clearly is the major party, and that's always been true in, in our MMP setup. If ACT becomes more than a tail, if it becomes part of the body... Becomes <laughs> half the dog. It becomes half the dog. Uh, that's a different proposition. Yeah. And voters on both sides need to look where the big ideas are that are likely to drive any coalition government. So I'm mean, looking at the public debate happening at the moment. Do you think there's a risk that this election could get derailed by these culture wars rather than focusing on those big issues that New Zealand needs to solve? Yes, I do. And that's partly because it's clearly happened overseas, partly because it's happening here. There's some very loud, shouty people in the political spectrum in this country now. Um, and we saw that one end of that in the parliamentary protests last March. And, you know, and that was difficult to conceive of. For this country, yeah, but it happened. Those people will be back. Some of them will be trying to get their parties or whatever into parliament, and some of them will be trying to simply disrupt the process because disrupting the way democracy works was a stated goal of during that parliamentary protest last year. So we'll see that again. And the issues, a lot of them are going to be in that what's called the culture wars. I thought it was really ironic the Luxon meeting in Birkenhead he twice in his speech he complained about the left being obsessed with identity politics clearly it's true identity politics are, are an issue on the left not for everybody but when you're obsessed like that and when the people in your audience repeatedly ask you questions about when are you going to deal with the Maori problem <laughs> yeah um, Who's got the identity politics problem there? You know, it's it's actually not Māori. It's the people complaining about a process we have in this country which is, in every major respect, one that is progressive and leads to, should lead to a society where there is more respect, where we are trying much harder than we have in the past to deal with the structural inequities that exist because of race. You know, we're trying to address that. It's not identity politics to try to address that, but it certainly is to complain about it and get outraged about it.
Simon, as somebody who analyzes politics, do you sometimes find it frustrating that so many of our politicians seem to be following the lead of the public rather than actually leading? My view is that that is right and it is, it's a really difficult position we find ourselves in now. And that's especially true because National has pulled out of their housing accord. If you remember that housing accord, whatever you think of it, the idea was that across Parliament, everybody except ACT recognised that there were things that needed to be done for our society that were going to be a very hard sell to voters, but they needed to be done. We needed denser housing in urban areas that didn't sprawl into the countryside, that made society functional, that made housing more affordable, that meant we could develop our public transport and cycle lanes, but that's the least of it, but the whole way in which we could develop our urban areas so that they were more compact and more functional with fewer emissions, ease of getting around, safer and all of those things and easier to buy a house. Selling that to voters was regarded as very hard, so that's why we had an accord. Nationals pulled out of it, which means Labour's in the position as being the ones carrying the, the supposedly electorally unpopular policy, so they've got to do something too. And you can't blame them for that. But we now face a range of issues where the solutions are clear and yet they are electorally difficult to sell. And it would be fantastic to think that we could have more cross-party accords on them. What we do about crime, actually, should be one of those, and what we do about poverty... You can sit down and talk with Christopher Luxon and he'll say that these issues are crime issues are complex and require enormous resources and effort and skills and experience on the ground, people working among communities. And all of that's true. But in public, he'll say that's Labour being soft on crime. If we could take that out of the political sphere, it would be fantastic. We would actually make real progress on what we do about people who get alienated from society as toddlers and don't catch up forever after. That would be a fantastic thing to be able to do, but its chances of doing it now uh, seem to be remote, because even if there is a new cross-party accord, one party's just told us that they can't be trusted to stay in it. Thanks for joining us, Simon. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.